chapter thirty nine of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain by the rhine in the two or three weeks that followed his meeting with heliobas alwyn made up his mind to leave london for a while he was tired and restless tired of the routine society more or less imposed upon him restless because he had come to a standstill in his work an invisible barrier over which his creative fancy was unable to take its usual sweeping flight he had an idea of seeking some quiet spot among mountains as far remote as possible from the travelling world of men a peaceful place where with the majestic silence of nature all about him he might plead in lover-like retirement with his refractory muse and strive to coax her into a sweeter and more indulgent humour it was not that thoughts were lacking to him what he complained of was the monotony of language and the difficulty of finding new true and choice forms of expression a great thought leaps into the brain like a lightning flash there it is an indescribable mystery warming the soul and pervading the intellect but the proper expression of that thought is a matter of the deepest anxiety to the true poet who if he be worthy of his vocation is bound not only to proclaim it to the world clearly but also clad in such a perfection of wording that it shall chime on men's ears with a musical sound as of purest golden bells there are very few faultless examples of this felicitous utterance in english or in any literature so few indeed that they could almost all be included in one newspaper column of ordinary print keats's exquisite line is isle was wandering at the moon in which the word wandering paints a whole landscape of dreamy enchantment and the couplet in the ode to a nightingale that speaks with a delicious vagueness of magic casements opening on the foam of perilous seas in fairy lands forlorn are absolutely unique and unrivalled as is the exquisite alliteration taken from a poet of our own day the holy lark with fire from heaven and sunlight on his wing who wakes the world with witcheries of the dark renewed in rapture in the reddening air again from the same the chords of the lute are entranced with the weight of the wonder of things and his skyward notes have drenched the summer with the dews of song this last line being certainly one of the most suggestive and beautiful in all poetical literature such expressions have the intrinsic quality of completeness once said we feel that they can never be said again they belong to the centuries rather than the seasons and any imitation of them we immediately and instinctively resent as an outrage and theo Salwyn was essentially and above all things faithful to the lofty purpose of his calling he dealt with his art reverently and not in rough haste and scrambling carelessness if he worked out any idea in rhyme the idea was distinct and the rhyme was perfect he was not content like browning to jumble 
together such hideous and ludicrous combinations as high humph and triumph moreover he knew that what he had to tell his public must be told comprehensively yet grandly with all the authority and persuasiveness of incisive rhetoric yet also with all the sweetness and fascination of a passioned love-song occupied with such work as this london with its myriad mad noises and vulgar distractions became impossible to him and villiers his vitus achates who had read portions of his great poem and was impatient to see it finished knowing as he did what an enormous sensation it would create when published warmly seconded his own desire to gain a couple of months complete seclusion and tranquillity he left town therefore about the middle of may and started across the channel resolving to make for switzerland by the leisurely and delightful way of the rhine in order to visit bonn the scene of his old student days what days they had been days of dreaming more than action for he had always regarded learning as a pastime rather than a drudgery and so had easily distanced his comrades in the race for knowledge while they were flirting with the lichen or gretchen of the hour he had willingly absorbed himself in study thus he had attained the head of his classes with scarce an effort and in fact had often found time hanging heavily on his hands for want of something more to do he had astonished the university professors but he had not astonished himself inasmuch as no special branch of learning presented any difficulties to him and the more he mastered the more dissatisfied he became it had seemed such a little thing to win the honours of scholarship for at that time his ambition was always climbing up the apparently inaccessible heights of fame fame that he then imagined was the greatest glory any human being could aspire to he smiled as he recollected this and thought how changed he was since then what a difference between the former discontented mutability of his nature and the deep unswerving calm of patience that characterized it now learning and scholarship these were the mere child's alphabet of things and fame was a passing breath that ruffled for one brief moment the onrushing flood of time a bubble blown in the air to break into nothingness thus much wisdom he had acquired and what more a great deal more he had won the difficult comprehension of himself he had grasped the priceless knowledge that man has no enemy save that which is within him and that the pride of a rebellious will is the parent sin from which all others are generated the old scriptural saying is true for all time that through pride the angels fell and it is only through humility that they will ever rise again pride the proud will that is left free by divine law to work for itself and answer for itself and wreak upon its own head the punishment of its own errors the will that once voluntarily crushed down in the dust at the cross of christ with these words truly drawn from the depths of penitence lord not as i will but as thou wilt is straightway lifted up from its humiliation a supreme stately force resistless 
miraculous world-commanding smoothing the way for all greatness and all goodness and guiding the happy soul from joy to joy from glory to glory till heaven itself is reached and the perfection of all love and life begins for true humility is not slavish as some people imagine but rather royal since while acknowledging the supremacy of god it claims close kindred with him and is at once invested with all the diviner virtues fame and wealth the two perishable prizes for which men struggle with one another in ceaseless and cruel combat bring no absolute satisfaction in the end they are toys that please for a time and then grow wearisome but the conquering of self is a battle in which each fresh victory bestows a deeper content a larger happiness a more perfect peace and neither poverty sickness nor misfortune can quench the courage or abate the ardour of the warrior who is absorbed in a crusade against his own worser passions egotism is the vice of this age the maxim of modern society is each man for himself and no one for his neighbour and in such a state of things when personal interest or advantage is the chief boon desired we cannot look for honesty in either religion politics or commerce nor can we expect any grand work to be done in art or literature when pictures are painted and books are written for money only when labourers take no pleasure in labour save for the wage it brings when no real enthusiasm is shown in anything except the accumulation of wealth and when all the finer sentiments and nobler instincts of men are made subject to mammon worship is any one so mad and blind as to think that good can come of it nothing but evil upon evil can accrue from such a system and those who have prophetic eyes to see through the veil of events can perceive even now the not far distant end namely the ruin of the country that has permitted itself to degenerate into a mere nation of shopkeepers and something worse than ruin degradation it was past eight in the evening when alwyn after having spent a couple of days in bright little brussels arrived at cologne most travellers know to their cost how noisy narrow and unattractive are the streets of this ancient colonia agrippina of the romans how persistent and wearying is the rattle of the vehicles over the rough cobbly stones how irritating to the nerves is the incessant shrieking whistle and clank of the rhine steamboats as they glide in or glide out from the cheerless and dirty pier but at night when these unpleasant sounds have partially subsided and the lights twinkle in the shop windows and the majestic mass of the cathedral casts its broad shadow on the moonlit domplatz and a few soldiers with clanking swords and glittering spurs come marching out from some dark stone archway and the green gleam of the river sparkles along in luminous ripples then it is that a something weird and mystical creeps over the town and the glamour of ancient historical memories begins to cling about its irregular buildings one thinks of the legendary three kings and believes in them too of saint ursula and her company of virgins of marie de medici dying alone in that tumbled-down house in the starngasse of rubens who it is said here first saw the light of this world of an angry satan flinging his 
tufelstein from the seven mountains in an impotent attempt to destroy the dom and gradually the indestructible romantic spell of the rhine steals into the spirit of common things that were unlovely by day and makes the old city beautiful under the sacred glory of the stars alwyn dined at his hotel and then finding it still too early to retire to rest strolled slowly across the plots looking up at the sublime god's temple above him the stately cathedral with its wondrously delicate carvings and flying buttresses on which the moonlight glittered like little points of pale flame he knew it of old many and many a time had he taken train from bonn for the sole pleasure of spending an hour in gazing on that splendid sermon in stone one of the grandest testimonies in the world of man's instinctive desire to acknowledge and honour by his noblest design and work the unseen but felt majesty of the creator he had a great longing to enter it now and ascended the steps with that intention but much to his vexation the doors were shut he walked from the side to the principal entrance that superb western frontage which is so cruelly blocked in by a dwarfish street of the commonest shops and meanest houses and found that also closed against him disappointed and sorry he went back again to the side of the colossal structure and stood on the top of the steps close to the central barred doors studying the sculptured saints in the niches and feeling a sudden singular impression of extreme loneliness a sense of being shut out as it were from some high festival in which he would gladly have taken part not a cloud was in the sky the evening was one of the most absolute calm and a delicious warmth pervaded the air the warmth of a fully declared and balmy spring the plots was almost deserted only a few persons crossed it now and then like flitting shadows and somewhere down in one of the opposite streets a long way off there was a sound of men's voices singing a part song presently however this distant music ceased and a deep silence followed alwyn still remained in the sombre shade of the cathedral archway arguing with himself against the foolish and unaccountable depression that had seized him and watching the brilliant may moon soar up higher and higher in the heavens when all at once the throbbing murmur of the great organ inside the dom startled him from pensive dreaminess into swift attention he listened the rich round notes sundered through the stillness with forceful and majestic harmony anon weird tones like the passionate lament of sarasate's zeigener weissen floated around and above him then a silvery chorus of young voices broke forth in solemn unison kyrie eleison christe eleison kyrie eleison a faint cold tremor crept through his veins his heart beat violently again he vainly strove to open the great door was there a choir practising inside at this hour of the night surely not then from whence had this music its origin stooping he bent his ear to the crevice of the closed portal but as suddenly as they had begun the harmonies ceased and all was once more profoundly still drawing a long deep breath he stood for a moment amazed and lost in thought these sounds he felt sure were not of earth but of heaven they had the same ringing sweetness as those he had heard 
on the field of ardath what might they mean to him here and now quick as a flash the answer came death god had taken pity upon his solitary earth wanderings and the prayers of edris had shortened his world exile and probation he was to die and that solemn singing was the warning or the promise of his approaching end yes it must be so he decided as with a strange half-sad peace at his heart he quietly descended the steps of the dom he would perhaps be permitted to finish the work he was at present doing and then then the poet pen would be laid aside for ever chains would be undone and he would be set at liberty such was his fixed idea was he glad of the prospect he asked himself yes and no for himself he was glad but in these latter days he had come to understand the thousand wordless wants and aspirations of mankind wants and aspirations to which only the poet can give fitting speech he had begun to see how much can be done to cheer and raise and ennoble the world by even one true brave earnest and unselfish worker and he had attained to such a height in sympathetic comprehension of the difficulties and drawbacks of others that he had ceased to consider himself at all in the question either with regard to the present or the immortal future he was without knowing it in the simple unconsciously perfect attitude of a soul that is absolutely at one with god and that thus in involuntary godlikeness is only happy in the engendering of happiness he believed that with the divine help he could do a lasting good for his fellow-men and to this cause he was willing to sacrifice everything that pertained to his own mere personal advantage but now now or so he imagined he was not to be allowed to pursue his labours of love his trial was to end suddenly and he so long banished from his higher heritage was to be restored to it without delay restored and drawn back to the land of perfect loveliness where edris his angel waited for him his saint his queen his bride a thrill of ecstatic joy rushed through him joy intermingled with an almost supernal pain for he had not as yet said enough to the world the world of many afflictions the little sorrowful star covered with toiling anxious deluded god-forgetting millions in every unit of which was a spark of heavenly flame a germ of the spiritual essence that makes the angel if only fostered aright lost in a deep reverie his footsteps had led him unconsciously to the rhine bridge paying the customary fee he walked about halfway across it and stood for a while listening to the incessant swift rush of the river beneath him lights twinkled from the boats moored on either side the moon poured down a wide shower of white beams on the rapid flood the city dusty and dreamlike crowned with the majestic towers of the dom looked picturesquely calm and grand it was a night of perfect beauty and wondrous peace and he was to die to die and leave all this the present fairness of the world he was to depart with as he felt his message half unspoken he was to be made eternally happy while many of the thousands he left behind were through ignorance wilfully electing to be eternally miserable a great almost divine longing to save one only one downward drifting soul possessed him and the comprehension of christ's 
sacrifice was no longer a mystery yet he was so certain that death sudden and speedy closely awaited him that he seemed to feel it in the very air not like a coming chill of dread but like the soft approach of some holy seraph bringing benediction it mattered little to him that he was actually in the very plenitude of health and strength that perhaps in all his life he had never felt such a keen delight in the physical perfection of his manhood as now death without warning and at a touch could smite down the most vigorous and to be so smitten he believed was his imminent destiny and while he lingered on the bridge fancy perplexed between grief and joy a small window opened in a quaint house that bent its bulging gables crookedly over the gleaming water and a girl holding a small lamp looked out for a moment her face fresh and smiling was fair to see against the background of dense shadow the light she carried flashed like a star and leaning down from the lattice she sang half timidly half mischievously the first two or three bars of the old song du du likst in mein herzen ah gute nacht lichten said a man's voice below gute nacht schlafen sie wohl a light laugh and the window closed good night sleep well love's best wish and for some sad souls life's last hope a good night and sleep well poor tired world for whose weary inhabitants oftentimes the greatest blessing is sleep good night sleep well but the sleep implies waking waking to a morning of pleasure or sorrow or labour that is only lightened by love 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 divine love human and sweetest love of all for us as christ has taught when both divine and human are mingled in one alwyn glancing up at the clustering stars hanging like pendant fire jewels above him thought of this marvel glory of love this celestial visitant who on noiseless pinions comes flying divinely into the poorest homes transfiguring common life with ethereal radiance making toil easy giving beauty to the plainest faces and poetry to the dullest brains love its tremulous hand-clasp its rapturous kiss the speechless eloquence it gives to gentle eyes the grace it bestows on even the smallest gift from lover to beloved were such gift but a handful of meadow blossoms tied with some silken threads of hair not for the poet creator of nurhalma such love any more had he not drained the cup of passion to the dregs in the far past and tasted its mixed sweetness and bitterness to no purpose save self-indulgence all that was over and yet as he walked away from the bridge back to his hotel in the quiet moonlight he thought what a transcendent thing love might be even on earth between two whose spirits were spiritually akin whose lives were like two notes played in tuneful concord whose hearts beat echoing faith and tenderness to one another and who held their love as a sacred bond of union a gift from god not to be despoiled by that rough familiarity which surely brings contempt and then before his fancy appeared to float the radiant visage of edris half child half angel he seemed to see her beautiful eyes so pure so clear so unshadowed by any knowledge of sin and the exquisite lines of a poet contemporary whose work he specially admired occurred to him with singular suggestiveness o oh, thou'lt confess that love from man to maid is more than kingdoms more than light and shade in sky-built gardens where the minstrels dwell and more than ransom from the bonds of hell
thou wilt i say admit the truth of this and half relent that shrinking from a kiss thou didst consign me to mine own disdain athwart the raptures of a visioned bliss i'll seek no joy that is not linked with thine no touch of hope no taste of holy wine and after death no home in any star that is not shared by thee supreme afar as here thou art first and foremost of all things glory is thine and gladness and the wings that wait on thought when in thy spirit sway thou dost invest a realm unknown to kings had not she edris consigned him to his own disdain athwart the raptures of a vision bliss i truly and deservedly and this disdain of himself had now reached its culminating point namely that he did not consider himself worthy of her love or worthy to do aught than sink again into far spaces of darkness and perpetually retrospective memory there to explore the uttermost depths of anguish and count up his errors one by one from the very beginning of life in every separate phase he had passed through till he had penitently striven his best to atone for them all christ had atoned yes but was it not almost base on his part to shield himself with that divine light and do nothing further he could not yet thoroughly grasp the amazing truth that one absolutely pure act of faith in christ blots out past sin for ever it seemed too marvellous and great a boon when he retired to rest that night he was fully and firmly prepared to die with this expectation upon him he was nevertheless happy and tranquil the line glory is thine and gladness and the wings haunted him and he repeated it over and over again without knowing why wings the brilliant shafts of radiance that part angels from mortals wings that after all are not really wings but lambent rays of living lightning of which neither painter nor poet has any true conception long dazzling rays such as encircle god's maiden edris with an arch of roseate effulgence so that the very air was sunset coloured in the splendour of her presence how if she were a wingless angel made woman glory is thine and gladness and the wings and with the name of his angel love upon his lips he closed his eyes and sank into a deep and dreamless slumber End of chapter thirty nine